Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we continue studying our way in the Psalms with Psalm 106. Praise Yahweh. Give thanks to Yahweh, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty deeds of Yahweh, or declare all his praise? Blessed are they who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Yahweh, when you show favor to your people. Help me when you save them, that I may look upon the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. Both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea, and it became dry, and he led them through the deep as through a desert. So he saved them from the hand of the foe, and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. And the waters covered the adversaries, not one of them was left, Then they believed his words, they sang his praise. But they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but they had a wanton craving in the wilderness and put God to the test in the desert. He gave them what they asked, but sent a wasting disease among them. When men in the camp were jealous of Moses and Aaron, the Holy One of Yahweh, the earth opened and swallowed up Dathan and covered the company of Abiram. Fire also broke out in their company, and flame burned up the wicked. They made a calf in Horeb, and worshipped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot their God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Therefore he said he would destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him, to turn away his wrath from destroying them. Then they despised the pleasant land, having no faith in his promise. They murmured in their tents and did not obey the voice of Yahweh. Therefore he raised his hand and swore to them that he would make them fall in the wilderness and would make their offspring fall among the nations, scattering them among the lands. Then they yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices offered to the dead. They provoked Yahweh to anger with their deeds, and a plague broke out among them. Then Phinehas stood up and intervened, and the plague was stayed, and that was counted to him as righteousness from generation to generation forever. They angered him at the waters of Meribah, and it went ill with Moses on their account, for they made his spirit bitter, and he spoke rashly with his lips. They did not destroy the peoples as Yahweh commanded them, But they mixed with the nations, and learned to do as they did. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons, 
They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood. Thus they became unclean by their acts, and played the whore in their deeds. Then the anger of Yahweh was kindled against his people, and he abhorred his heritage. He gave them into the hand of the nations, so that those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their power. Many times he delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through their iniquity. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake, he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. He caused them to be pitied by all those who held them captive. Save us, O Yahweh our God, and gather us from among the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be Yahweh the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. Praise Yahweh. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, As yesterday with Psalm 105, we had some history, uh, seeing the mighty works that God had done in the end of the book of Genesis and the beginning of the book of Exodus. Uh, So today, we really continue to wander our way through Israel's history and what the Lord has done for them, with them, through them, to them, however you want to phrase it. So we praise God, and that book ends this, praise Yahweh, the first verse and the last. We praise him. We thank him for all that he has done. We sing his praise, that is, we sing of what he has done, that others may hear it. We lift him up for the world to hear. Oh, give thanks to Yahweh, for he is good, his steadfast love endures forever. It's a very common refrain throughout the Psalms. We are to thank him for all that he has done. We thank him for he is good. This is what Jesus tells the rich young ruler, that there is only one who is good, and that is God himself. And we know what he has done for us through his steadfast love, his unconditional love, his covenant faithfulness, his mercy, however you want to phrase this Hebrew word. He endures for us forever. His good, his love, He continues to care and provide. He has kept his promises to us. Thanks be to God. Verse 2, at first you read it and you think, well, yeah, I can do that. Who can utter the mighty deeds of Yahweh? Well, the psalm's going to do that, isn't it? And yet, at the same time, the second part, or declare all his praise, kind of turns it a little bit and makes us wonder, well, can I? I don't know if I can. Maybe I can't. The point here is actually that none of us can truly do it. This is like what John writes at the end of his gospel as he tells us that he did not record everything Jesus had done because if he had tried, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to contain it all. The Lord's wonders, his mighty works are beyond our comprehension. We don't know them all. I don't know, maybe we never will know them all. But thanks be to God for the ones that we do know, and so the psalmist will go on to praise the Lord for the ones he knows. Blessed are those who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. A good king should, Jesus as our good king does, 
And this would be to do as the Lord does, verse 3. To care for his people. Verse 4 and 5 are going to sound an awful lot like Luther's explanation to the Lord's Prayer. You might remember that section in the Lord's Prayer where you're going through the petitions. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. And Luther's basic answer to those things is that God doesn't actually need us to do these things. He doesn't need our prayer for him to do these things. These things are going to happen anyway. God's name will be holy, whether man wants it to be or not. God's kingdom will come, whether man wants it to or not. In fact, it has already come in Christ. And God's will will be done, whether man wants it to or not. So Luther, in his explanation then, describes it as we are praying that the Lord would include us in these things. So we're praying that the Lord would help us keep his name holy view his name as holy in our lives, that his kingdom would come and that would that include us, that we would be part of his family and that his will would be done and that will would include our salvation. So it seems fairly similar what the psalmist is doing here in verses 4 and 5. Remember me when you show favor to your people. So God will favor his people. Include me. God will save his people, 4b. When he saves them, include me too. Save me. I think that's a fitting reflection. The psalmist knows, the psalmist trusts that God is faithful, that God will do what God has promised to do, and he asks that God would include him. Save him too. Why? So that he can look upon the prosperity of your chosen ones. So God blessing his holy people with the promised land and giving them all that they need, providing richly for their body. That I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation. So again, Israel, God's holy people. That the psalmist would also be able to give God thanks for this people and what he sees. And may glory with your inheritance. That is the idea that both the promised land and the people who live in it would lift up God. Though the nations around them would hear from the Israelites how great God is, as well as they would see the abundance of the promised land and how well God provided for it. And it would glorify, it would lift up the Lord before them. That other nations would come to know the Lord as we have come to know the Lord. Both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. This is a good reflection point with kids. Are we always faithful? Are we perfect? Do we do everything God wants us to do? Do we live the way he wants us to? We don't. We join the psalmist here in saying these exact words. Both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. We repent. We confess our sins before the Lord. And he is faithful and just. He forgives our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. A little first John there. Thanks be to God. This is what Christ came to do to rescue us from sin, from death and the devil. And he has. And this is most certainly true. Now, what's the psalmist going to do from here? 
He's going to reflect on the sins of his fathers. And he's going to do that here at first by going back to the Exodus account as they were leaving the land of Egypt, that they did not consider God's wondrous works, nor remember what he had done for them. You can see this reflected in Numbers chapter 14, verse 22, where the Lord says that ten times the Israelites rebelled against him in the wilderness, putting him to the test, grumbled against him. They didn't trust in him to provide, to care for. They forgot. Well, first they rebelled at the Red Sea, right? They grumbled, saying, why did you bring us out here into the wilderness to die? God saved them. God parted the Red Sea. He allowed them to pass on dry ground, Exodus 14. And once they had, then the Egyptians pursued. The army gave pursuit, entered the sea. God collapsed the sea on them again and drowned them all. Not one of them was left here, verse 11. Egypt's entire army was destroyed. And so they came out of the Red Sea in Exodus 15. They sang praise to God for his salvation. And yet here, the psalmist is reflecting the idea that they forgot this. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love. They forgot how the Lord had worked. Verse 13, they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. They chose to live life how they wanted, how they pleased. Had a wanton craving in the wilderness. Put God to the test in the desert, and he gave them what they asked, but sent a wasting disease among them. And this seems to be a reference to Exodus chapter 16, which has an echo in Numbers chapter 11, that the people, as part of their grumblings, one of the putting of God to the test moments, they demanded food. They grumbled about not having food. But at least back in Egypt, they had meat pots that they could sit by and have their fill. Whether that's true or not, grass is always greener kind of statement perhaps, but they grumbled against God. And what does the Lord do? He provides. He sends them manna, daily bread, literally, and he sends them quail. But he also sends a plague. Now, why does the plague come? Numbers chapter 11 describes that. The idea that the, the Israelites had quail basically up to the hip. Now, let me just start back at Numbers 11.31. Then a wind from Yahweh sprang up, and it brought quail from the sea and let them fall beside the camp. About a day's journey on this side, a day's journey on the other side around the camp, and two cubits above the ground. A cubit is 18 inches, so two cubits, three feet. If you're six foot tall, this is half your height. Can you imagine, as far as your naked eye can see, quail piled up three feet in the air? That's the gift God gave. And instead of trusting in him, what did they do? The people rose all that day and all the night and the next day, and they gathered the quail. Those who gathered the least gathered ten homers. And they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. A homer, by the way, 220 liters. It's like 58 gallons, if I remember the math on that correctly. And they gathered 10 of those. That is an awful lot of quail. And that was one person, and that was the one who took the least. Israel, in their greed, hoarded this food that God gave as a gift. 
And so, the next verse, while the meat was yet between their teeth, before it was consumed, the anger of Yahweh was kindled against the people, and Yahweh struck down the people with a very great plague. I can't spend a whole lot of time here because we've only got a few minutes left in the episode. We're not even, well, we're about a third of the way into this hymn. So, verse 16, this is an account of Numbers chapter 16, that some of the men joined Korah and rebellion against Moses as God's chosen leader. And so literally the earth opened up and consumed them. God destroyed these men. Verse 19, Exodus chapter 32, they make the golden calf. Not trusting that Yahweh will be their God, they demand Aaron to make a God for them that they can worship. Now, I mean, that's pretty pathetic when you stop and think about it, right? They know this God is going to be made by human hands, but that's what they want, that's what they ask for, and it's what Aaron does. Aaron even has the nerve to name the statue Yahweh, the golden calf that he makes. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt wondrous works in the land of Ham, awesome deeds by the Red Sea. A little pushback for us. How often is this true in our daily life? How often do we go about the moment, about the day, the week, the month, even the year, forgetting what God has done for us, forgetting about Christ's love and forgiveness, forgetting how he has called us to be set apart and to live this life loving him and loving our neighbor, and instead we just do what we want. And we forget whose we are. We forget who we are. That's a challenge for us too. And so God, verse 23, said he would destroy them. But Moses intercedes. Moses stands before God and pleads for their forgiveness, basically. That the Lord would not destroy them, that he would have mercy. And so he does. A foreshadowing of Jesus interceding between God and man for us. 24, they despised the promised land, the pleasant land, did not trust his promise. This is Numbers chapter 13 and 14. As the spies go into the land, they spy it out, but they give a bad report. They're not willing. They stir up the fear of the people, with the exception of two, Joshua and Caleb. So Joshua and Caleb, Moses and Aaron, are opposed by the people. They even try to stone them all to death. Not Moses, The people try to stone Moses, Aaron, Joshua, and Caleb to death. And so God raised his hand and swore to them he would make them fall in the wilderness. No one who had seen Egypt and lived would enter the promised land, except Joshua and Caleb. They yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor. That's a mountain in Moab, Baal, Another Hebrew word for Lord or Master, so this could be a generic reference to a false god, or it could be Baal, the god of the Canaanites, very specifically. But this is Numbers chapter 25, verse 3. Not only that, they also then intermarried with the Moabite people, which is contrary to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 3 and 4, where God warned against doing such a thing. So the Lord sent a plague. 24,000 people of Israel died until Phinehas the priest grabs a spear chases down an Israelite man named Zimri and his Midianite wife, Cosby, and he pierces them through. 
Right, I mean, it sounds like he did it together. He went after the man of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them, the man of Israel and the woman, through her belly. It's almost like this guy went back to his, his wife and slept with her, and Phinehas chased them down. But his destruction of this couple, who was blaspheming God in their marriage, put an end to the plague, very specifically said there in verse 8. Thus the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Verse 31 refers to that being credited to Phinehas as righteousness from generation to generation forever, what he has done to save the people. Verse 32, they angered him at the waters of Meribah. That's Exodus 17 and repeated in Numbers 20. This is where Moses then loses his ability to enter the promised land because he got so angry with the people that he did not do what the Lord instructed him of speaking to the rock, but struck it. Verse 34, they did not destroy the people, the reference to the book of Joshua. When they were to enter the promised land, they were to drive out or destroy everyone, but they failed to do so. They let many of them live and ended up mixing with the nations and learned to do as they did. That was the Deuteronomy 7 warning. Verses 3 and 4, God said, you shall not intermarry with them giving your daughters to their sons, or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of Yahweh would be kindled against you, and he would destroy you quickly. And so it comes. They marry with them, and they worship their gods, which is what the next section is about. Their idols became a snare to Israel. They sacrificed their children to demons, to the idols of Canaan, it would be Molech and Kamash, a couple of gods of the tribes of the Canaanites in that land who required child sacrifice. Well, I can't say they required, they don't exist. The people who concocted these religions, these demonic religions, which is anything other than Christ, that was part of the religion that they made up, that the demons gave them. Polluted the land with blood, Genesis chapter 4, when Cain kills Abel, Abel's blood cries out from the ground. How much more as these deaths piled up because Israel was so evil. Became unclean by their acts, played the whore in their deeds. It's a view of God being husband and the, the people of God being his bride. Something that's picked up in the New Testament as well as Christ is the husband and the church is his bride. So Yahweh's anger was kindled against them. He gave them into the hands of the nations. This refers to then the book of Judges, where the people sin against God, so he allows them to be oppressed by a foreign enemy, and then in their oppression, they repent. They cry out to God for help, and he delivers them, sending them a judge, a military hero, to redeem them, rescue them. And as they have that time of peace after the rescue, they would turn away from the Lord again, fall right back into their sinful ways, and the cycle would repeat itself. In fact, 12 times. A dozen judges in the book of Judges. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. He remembered his covenant, relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. He saved them. Now this is a conversation for a family as well. How do we cry out? So we can talk about prayer. We can talk about confession and talk about how we turn and we trust in the Lord, we seek his salvation, and he does. He saves us. He keeps his promise. He remembers his covenant, the Lord's Supper, the new covenant in Christ's blood shed for us. 
So verse 47, save us, O Yahweh our God, gather us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. And the Lord indeed has. He has rescued us, redeemed us, gathered us together as the church to be a holy nation among the nations. Even if we're scattered, we're still one people. We are one body, the body of Christ, and we give thanks to Christ wherever we are that the people around us may come to know of his salvation by hearing the hope that we have. Blessed be Yahweh. Thanks be to God. Let the people say amen. Amen.